Chapter Thirty Eight of the Golden Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson. Chapter Thirty Eight. There was no place for a guest in that part of the Marybout's house, which had been allotted to Sadie. She had her bedroom and reception room, her roof terrace, and her garden court. On the ground floor, her negresses lived and cooked for their mistress and themselves. She did not wish to have Victoria with her night and day, and so she had quietly directed Nora to make up a bed in the room which would have been her boudoir, if she had lived in Europe. When the sisters came down from the roof, the bed was ready. In the old time, Victoria had slept with her sister, and her greatest happiness as a child had been the bed talks, when Sadie had whispered her secret joys or troubles, and confided in the little girl as if she had been a grown-up. Hardly a night had passed since their parting, that Victoria had not thought of those talks, and imagined herself again lying with her head on Sadie's arm, listening to stories of Sadie's life, she had taken it for granted that she would be put in her sister's room and seeing the bed made up and her luggage unpacked in the room adjoining was a blow. She knew that Sadie must have given orders or these arrangements would not have been made and again she felt the dreadful sinking of the heart which had crushed her an hour ago. Sadie did not want her. Sadie was sorry she had come and meant to keep her as far off as possible. But the girl encouraged herself once more. Sadie might think now that she would rather have been left alone, but she was mistaken. By and by she would find out the truth and know that they needed each other. I thought you'd be more comfortable here than crowded in with me. Sadie explained, blushing faintly. Yes, thank you, dear, said Victoria quietly. She did not show her disappointment and seemed to take the matter for granted, as if she had expected nothing else. But the talk on the roof had brought back something into Sadie's heart which she could not keep out, though she did not wish to admit it there. She was sorry for Victoria, sorry for herself, and more miserable than ever. Her nerves were rasped by the intolerable irritation as she looked at the girl and felt that her thoughts were being read. She had a hideous feeling, almost an impression that her face had been lifted off like a mask, and that the workings of her brain were open to her sister's eyes, like the exposed mechanism of a clock. Nora has brought some food for you, she went on hastily. You must eat a little before you go to bed, to please me. I will, Victoria assured her. You mustn't worry about me at all. You'll go to sleep, won't you? Or would you rather talk, while you're eating, perhaps? The girl looked at the woman and saw that her nerves were racked, that she wanted to go but did not wish her sister to guess. You've talked too much already, Victoria said. 
The surprise of my coming gave you a shock. Now you must rest and get over it, so you can be strong for tomorrow. Then we'll make up our minds about everything. There's only one way to make up our minds, Sadie insisted dully. Victoria did not protest. She kissed her sister goodnight and gently refused help from Nora. Then Sadie went away, followed by the negress, who softly closed the door between the two rooms. Her mistress had not told her to do this, but when it was done, she did not say, Open the door. Sadie was glad that it was shut, because she felt that she could think more freely. She could not bear the idea that her thoughts and life were open to the criticism of those young blue eyes which the years since childhood had not clouded. Nevertheless, when Nora had undressed her and she was alone, she saw Victoria's eyes looking at her sweetly, sadly, with yearning, yet with no reproach. She saw them as clearly as she'd seen a man's face a few hours earlier, and now his was dim, as Victoria's face had been dim when his was clear. It was dark in the room, except for the moon rays which streamed through the lace-like open work of stucco above the shuttered windows, making jeweled patterns on the wall, pink, green, and golden, according to the different colors of the glass. There was just enough light to reflect these patterns faintly in the mirrors set in the closed door opposite which Sadie lay in bed, and to her imagination it was as if she could see through the door into a lighted place beyond. She wondered if Victoria had gone to bed, if she were sleeping, or if she were crying softly, crying her heart out with bitter grief and disappointment she would never confess. Victoria had always been like that, even as a little girl. If Sadie did anything to hurt her, she made no moan. Sometimes Sadie had teased her on purpose, or tried to make her jealous, just for fun. As memories came crowding back, the woman buried her face in the pillow, striving with all her strength to shut them out. What was the use of making herself wretched? Victoria ought to have come long, long ago, or not at all. But the blue eyes would look at her, even when her own were shut, and always there was a faint light in the mirror, which seemed to come through the door. At last Sadie could no longer lie still. She had to get up and open the door, to see what her sister was really doing. Very softly she turned the handle, for she hoped that by this time Victoria was asleep. But as she pulled the door noiselessly towards her, and peeped into the next room, she saw that one of the lamps was burning. Victoria had not yet gone to bed. She was kneeling beside it, saying her prayers, with her back towards the door. So absorbed was she in praying, and so little noise had Sadie made, that the girl heard nothing. She remained motionless on her knees, not knowing that Sadie was looking at her. A sharp pain shot through the woman's heart. How many times had she softly opened their bedroom door, coming home late after a dance, to find her little sister praying. A small childish form in a long white nightgown, with quantities of curly red hair pouring over its shoulders. 
Sometimes Victoria had gone to sleep on her knees, and Sadie had waked her up with a kiss. Just as she had looked then, so she looked now, except that the form in the long, white nightgown was that of a young girl, not a child. But the thick waves of falling hair made it seem childish. She is praying for me, Sadie thought, and dared not close the door tightly, lest Victoria should hear. By and by it could be done, when the light was out and the girl dropped asleep. Meanwhile she tiptoed back to her bed and sat on the edge of it, to wait. At last the thread of light, fine as a red-gold hair, vanished from the door, but as it disappeared a line of moonlight was drawn in silver along the crack. Victoria must have left her windows wide open, or there would not have been light enough to paint this gleaming streak. Sadie sat on her bed for nearly half an hour, trying to concentrate her thoughts on the present and future, yet unable to keep them from flying back to the past, the long-ago past, which lately had seemed unreal, as if she had dreamed it, the past when she and Victoria had been all the world to each other. There was no sound in the next room, and when Sadie was weary of her strained position, she crossed the floor on tiptoe again to shut the door, but she could not resist the temptation to peep in. It was as she had expected. Victoria had left the inlaid cedar wood shutters wide open, and through the lattice of old wrought iron, moonlight streamed. The room was bright with a silvery twilight, like a mysterious dawn, but because the bed linen and the embroidered silk coverlet were white, the pale radiance focused round the girl who lay asleep in a halo of moonbeams. She looks like an angel, Sadie thought, and with a curious mingling of reluctance and eagerness moved softly towards the bed her little velvet slippers from Tunis making no sound on the thick rugs. Very well, the older woman remembered an engaging trick of the child's, a way of sleeping with her cheek in her hand and her hair spread out like a golden coverlet for the pillow. Just so she was lying now, and in the moonlight her face was a child's face, the face of a dear, little, loving child of ten years ago, like this Victoria had lain when her sister crept into their bedroom in the Paris flat, the night before the wedding, and Sadie had waked her by crying on her eyelids. Cassim's unhappy wife recalled the clean, sweet, warm smell of the child's hair when she had buried her face in it that last night together. It had smelled like grape leaves in the hot sun. If you don't come back to me, I'll follow you all across the world, the little girl had said. Now she had kept her promise. Here she was, and the sister to whom she had come, after a thousand sacrifices, was wishing her back again at the other end of the world, was planning to get rid of her. Suddenly, it was as if beating of Sadie's heart broke a tight band of ice which had compressed it. A fountain of tears sprang from her eyes. She fell on her knees beside the bed, crying bitterly. Childy, childy, comfort me, forgive me, she sobbed. 
Victoria woke instantly. She opened her eyes, and Sadie's wet face was close to hers. The girl said not a word, but wrapped her arms round her sister, drawing the bowed head onto her breast, and then she crooned lovingly over it, with the little foolish mumblings, as she used to do in Paris when Mrs. Ray's unkindness had made Sadie cry. "'Can you forgive me?' the woman faltered between sobs. "'Darling, as if there were anything to forgive,' the clasp of the girl's arms tightened now we're truly together again how i love you how happy i am don't i don't deserve it sadie stammered poor little babe i was cruel to you and you'd come so far you weren't cruel victoria contradicted her almost fiercely i was i was jealous jealous of you you're so young and beautiful just what I was ten years ago, only better and prettier. You're what I can never be again, what I'd give the next ten years to be. Everything's over with me. I'm old, old. You're not to say such things, cried Victoria, horrified. You weren't jealous, you. I was, I am now, but I want to confess. You must let me confess, if you're to help me. Dearest, tell me anything everything you choose but nothing you don't choose and nothing you can say can make me love you less only more there's a great deal to tell sadie said heavily and i'm tired sick at heart but i can't rest now till i've told you wouldn't you come into bed pleaded victoria humbly then we could talk the way we used to talk sadie staggered up from her knees and the girl almost lifted her on to the bed then she covered her with the thyme-scented linen sheet and the silk coverlet under which she herself lay for a moment they were quite still sadie lying with her head on victoria's arm but at last she said in a whisper as if her lips were dry did you know i was sorry you'd come i knew you thought you were sorry the girl answered yet i hoped that you'd find out you weren't really i prayed for you to find out soon did you guess why i was sorry not quite i told you i that it was for your sake yes didn't you believe it i felt there was something else beside there was sadie confessed you know now at least you know part i was jealous i am still but i'm ashamed of myself i'm sick with shame and i do love you of course of course you do darling but there's somebody else i love a man and i couldn't bear to think he might see you because you're so much younger and fresher than i you mean cassim no not cassim silence fell between the two victoria did not speak and suddenly sadie was angry with her for not speaking if you're shocked i won't go on she said you can't help me by preaching i'm not shocked the girl protested only sorry so sorry and even if i wanted to preach i don't know how there's nothing to be shocked about sadie said her tears dry her voice hard as it had been at first I've seen him three times. I've talked with him just once, 
but we love each other it's the first and only real love of my life i was too young to know when i met cassim that was a fascination i was in love with romance he carried me off my feet in spite of myself then dearest sadie don't let yourself be carried off your feet a second time why not sadie asked sharply what incentive have i to be true to cassim i'm not thinking about cassim i'm thinking of you all one's world goes to pieces so if one isn't true to oneself he says i can't be true to myself if i stay here he doesn't consider that i'm cassim's wife i thought myself married but was i when he had a wife already would any lawyer or even clergyman say it was a legal marriage perhaps not victoria admitted but just wait before you go on arguing sadie broke in hotly until i've told you something you haven't heard yet cassim has another wife now a lawful wife according to his views and the views of his people he's had her for a year she's a girl of the uliad nael tribe brought up to be a dancer but cassim saw her at tugort where he'd gone on one of his mysterious visits he doesn't dream that i know the whole history of the affair but i do and have known since a few days after the creature was brought here as his bride she's as ignorant and silly as a kitten and only a child in years she told her love story to one of her negresses who told nora who repeated it to me perhaps i oughtn't to have listened but why not victoria did not answer the clouds round sadie and herself were dark but she was trying to see the blue beyond and find the way into it with her sister she's barely sixteen now and she's been here a year sadie went on she hadn't begun to dance yet when cassim saw her and took her away from tugort being a great saint is very convenient a marabout can do what he likes you know musulmen are forbidden to touch alcohol but if a marabout drinks wine it turns to milk in his throat he can fly if he wants to he can even make french cannon useless and withdraw the bullets from french guns in case of war if the spirit of allah is with him so by marrying a girl brought up for a dancer daughter of generations of dancing women he washes all disgrace from her blood and makes her a female saint worthy to live eternally the beautiful meludas amaribota if you please and when our baby is taken out by the negress who nurses it silly bigoted people kneel and kiss its clothing she has a baby murmured victoria yes only a girl but better than nothing and she hopes to be more fortunate next time she isn't jealous of me because i've no children not even a girl and because for that reason cassim could repudiate me if he chose she little knows how desperately i wish he would she believes nora says that he keeps me here only because i have no people to go to and he's too kind-hearted to turn me out alone in the world when my youth's past you see 
She thinks me already old, at twenty-eight. Of course the real reason that Cassim shuts me up and won't let me go is because he knows I could ruin not only him, but the hopes of his people. Meluda doesn't dream that I'm of so much importance in his eyes. The only thing she's jealous of is the boy, Mohammed, who's at school in the town of Oed Tolga in charge of an uncle. Cassim guesses how Meluda hates the child, and I believe that's the reason he daren't have him here. He's afraid something might happen, although the excuse he makes is that he wants his boy to learn French and know something of French ways. That pleases the government, and as for the Arab, no doubt he tells them it's only a trick to keep the French eyes shut to what's really going on and to his secret plans. Now, do you still say I ought to consider myself married to Cassim and refuse to take any happiness if I can get it? The thing is, what would make you happy? Victoria said as if thinking aloud. Love and life, all that women in Europe have and take for granted. Sadie answered passionately. How could it come to you? The girl asked. I would go to it and find it with a man who's ready to risk his life to save me from this hateful prison and carry me far away. Now I've told you everything, exactly as it stands. That's why I was sorry you came, just when I was almost ready to risk the step. I was sure you'd be horrified if you found out and want to stop me. Besides, if he should see you, but I won't say that again. I know you wouldn't try to take him away from me, even if you tried to take me from him. I don't know why I told you, instead of keeping the whole thing secret as I made up my mind to do at first. Nothing's changed. I can't save you from Maedine, but there's one difference. I would save you if I could, just at first. I was so anxious for you to be out of the way of my happiness. The chance of it, the only thing I longed for, was that you should be gone. Victoria choked back a sob that rose in her throat, but Sadie felt rather than heard it, as she lay with her burning head on the girl's arm. I don't feel like that now, she said. I peeped in and saw you praying, perhaps for me. And you look just as you used to when you were a little girl. Then when I came in and you were asleep, I, I couldn't stand it. I broke down. I love you, dear little babe. The ice has gone out of my heart. You've melted it. I'm a woman again. But just because I'm a woman, I won't give up my other love to please you or anyone. I'll tell you that honestly. Victoria made no reply for a moment though Sadie waited defiantly, expecting a protest or an argument. Then at last the girl said, Will you tell me something about this man? Sadie was surprised to receive encouragement. It was a joy to speak of the subject that occupied all her thoughts, and wonderful to have a confidant. He's a captain in the Chasseurs d'Afrique, she said, but he's not with his regiment. He's an expert in making desert wells and draining marshes. That's the business which has brought him to the far south now. He's living at Oed Tolga, the town, I mean, not the Zoea. 
a well had to be sunk in the village and he was superintending i watched him from my roof though it was too far off to see his face i don't know exactly what made me do it i suppose it was fate for cassim says we all have our fate hung around our necks but when i went to the moorish bath between here and the village i let my veil blow away from my face as i passed close to him and his party of workers no one else saw except he it was only for a second or two but we looked straight into each other's eyes and there was something in his that seemed to draw my soul out of me it was as if in that instance i told him with a look the whole tragedy of my life and his soul sprang to mine there was never anything like it you can't imagine what i felt babe yes i-i think i can victoria whispered but sadie hardly heard so deeply was she absorbed in the one sweet memory of many years it was in the morning the elder woman went on but it was hot and the sun was fierce as it beat down on the sand he had been working and his face was pale from the heat it had a haggard look under brown sunburn but when our eyes met a flush like a girl's rushed up to his forehead you never saw such a light in human eyes they were illuminated as if a fire from his heart was lit behind them i knew he had fallen in love with me that something would happen that my life would never be the same again the next time i went to the bath he was there and though i held my veil he looked at me with the same wonderful look as if he could see through it i felt that he longed to speak but of course he could not it would have meant my ruin in the baths there's an old woman named bakta an attendant she always comes to me when i go there she's a great character knows everything that happens in every house as if by magic and loves to talk but she can keep secrets she is a matchmaker for all the neighborhood when there's a young man of oued tolga or of any village round about who wants a wife she lets him know which girl who comes to the bath is the youngest and most beautiful or if a wife is in love with someone bakta contrives to bring letters from him and smuggle them to the young woman while she's at the moorish bath well that day she gave me a letter a beautiful letter i didn't answer it but next time i passed i opened my veil and smiled to show that i thanked him because he had laid his life at my feet if there was anything he could do for me he would do it without hope of reward even if it meant death then bakta gave me another letter i couldn't resist answering and so it's gone on until i seem to know this man honore sabine better than any one in the world though we've only spoken together once how did you manage it victoria asked the question mechanically for she had felt that sadie expected it of her bakta managed and nora helped he came dressed like an arab woman and pretended to be old and lame so that he could crouch down and use a stick as he walked to disguise his height bakta waited and we had no more than ten minutes to say everything
Ten hours wouldn't have been enough. But we were in danger every instant, and he was afraid of what might happen to me if we were spied upon. He begged me to go with him then, but I dared not. I couldn't decide. Now he writes to me, and he's making a cipher so that if the letters should be intercepted, no one could read them. Then he hopes to arrange a way to escape if, if I say I'll do what he asks. Which, of course, you won't, broke in Victoria. You couldn't, even though it were only for his sake alone, if you really love him. You'd be too unhappy afterwards, knowing that you'd ruined his career in the army. I'm more to him than a thousand careers, Sadie flung herself away from the girl's arms. I see now, she went on angrily, what you were leading up to when you pretended to sympathize. You were waiting for a chance to try and persuade me that I'm a selfish wretch. I may be selfish, but it's as much for his happiness as mine. It's just as I thought it would be. You're puritanical. You'd rather see me die or go mad in this prison than have me do a thing that's unconventional, according to your schoolgirl ideas. I came to take you out of prison, said Victoria. And you fell into it yourself, Sadie retorted quickly. You broke the spring of the door, and it will be harder than ever to open. But her voice changed from reproach to persuasion. Honoré might save us both. If only you wouldn't try to stop my going with him. You might go too. Then you wouldn't have to marry Maeddine. There's a chance, just a chance. For heaven's sakes, do all you can to help, not to hinder. Don't you see now that you're here? There are a hundred more reasons why I must say yes to Captain Sabine. If I did see that, I'd want to die now this minute, Victoria answered. How cruel you are, how cruel a girl can be to a woman. You pretend that you came to help me, and the one only thing you can do, you refuse to do. You say you want to get me away. I tell you that you can't, and you can't get yourself away. Perhaps Honoré can do what you can't, but you'll try to prevent him. If I could get you away, would you give him up? until you were free to go to him without spoiling both your lives. What do you mean? Sadie asked. Please answer my question. Sadie thought for a moment. Yes, I would do that. But what's the use of talking about it? You, a poor little mouse caught in a trap? A mouse once gnawed a net and set free a whole line, said Victoria. Give me a chance to think, that's all I ask except except that you love me meanwhile oh darling don't be angry will you i can't bear it if you are sadie laid her head on the girl's arm once more and they kissed each other end of chapter thirty eight